You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. I like the story about a guy who was a truck driver, and he was hauling on this particular day a load of 500 penguins. Um, and they was taking them to the zoo. And unfortunately, on his trip to the zoo, his truck broke down. So he got out of his car, and or his truck, I'm sorry, and he was trying to wave someone down that could maybe help him, and another truck driver stopped that he eventually waved down, and he explained what happened. And he said to the truck driver, look, I'll give you $500 if you load up these penguins and take them to the zoo. The guy was excited to make $500, and so he took the penguins to the zoo. Later that day, the truck driver, the first one, got his truck fixed, and he was on his way down the road, and he approached the city where the zoo was, and as he drove into town, he couldn't believe his eyes. Just ahead of him, he had to slow down because he saw the truck driver crossing, walking. I was trying to practice, like, I can't do that. Can any of you do that? You know the, like, penguin walk when you were a kid, and you, anyway, all right, it's just little things, details that I was going to try to bring into the sermon, but I couldn't pull it off. But anyway, imagine 500 penguins led by this truck driver walking across the street. And so he slows down as he sees the penguins waddling across, jumps out of the truck, and he's like, what are you doing? What's going on? I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. The man looked at him with certainty, and he said, I did take them to the zoo. And after I paid for the zoo, I had enough money left over. Now we're going to the movies. See, the guy didn't understand his assignment, right? He didn't understand the command that he had received. Many of us, disciples of Jesus, are fuzzy and unclear about the command that Jesus gave us. And so as we continue our series on discipleship, I want to help bring clarity through God's word as we explore this command of discipleship. In other words, what is our mission as the church? What is our mission and our commission by God to us as disciples of Jesus. So before we get into that, I want to just review quickly where we've been so far in the series on discipleship, reminding us that being a disciple is more than church membership. It's more than just attending church. We learned that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. They're changed by Jesus. They're committed to his mission. We learned that the call that God puts in our lives is open to everyone. Anyone and everyone can be called to be a disciple, but not everyone answers that call. And then last week we talked about the cost of discipleship, that probably the greatest reason why many people don't answer the call is because, as we learned last week, it may and will cost us everything that we are and everything that we have. So today, what is the mission? What is the commission for disciples of Jesus? And we're going to begin to unpack that together. I don't know about you, I really like watching basketball. I know there's a lot of political things going on in the world, but college, high school, middle school, I love watching basketball. And I was thinking about this. Imagine if kids were playing basketball, and on each end of the court, there was no goal, right? So they're just like dribbling around, passing the ball, racing to get down to their side of the court. Imagine 10 guys running around, essentially playing keep away, but there's no goal. There's no basket to shoot into. What makes basketball interesting and exciting is what? The scoring. It's scoring more points than your opponent. And without that goal of scoring, the game is boring. It's just kids playing keep away. And there's no way to measure who wins. I wonder, my friends, if God sees many churches and disciples like that. Running around missionless, 
with no direction, with no goal. He sees people that are going to church, going to Bible study, bringing someone to the skate park, and there's no real goal. They don't understand the command that God gave them. Do we, as believers, as disciples, understand our mission? Do we know what we're supposed to be accomplishing for Jesus? If we don't, then we just end up filling our schedules with a lot of spiritual things, and it might look good, but it doesn't necessarily move us towards the mission of Jesus. But when we look at the Bible, when we open up God's word, it's clear that it's not hard to discover what the real command is. In Luke 19, Jesus declared uh, that the mission that he came for was to seek and save that which was lost. He hinted at that mission when he first called the fishermen, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he told them that he's going to make them not fish for fish, but fish for people. But it's the final words that Jesus left his disciples in Matthew 28 where I want to turn our attention to this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where we see the great commission that God left his people. He says, therefore, as a result of everything that these people had seen, as a result of everything they had heard and observed that Jesus had walked with them through, he says, therefore, as a result, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Very common, popular passage. It's interesting to make note that the imperative is the verb make disciples, not the verb go. Oftentimes we think go, we have to go, we have to go. But the actual imperative here, verb, is the word make disciples. A better translation would actually be, in our language, wherever you are, make disciples. As you go, wherever you're planted, make disciples. So what's the command for Jesus, for, for us, from Jesus? It's to make other disciples of Jesus from all the nations. That's what we're commanded to do. That's our mission. It involves two things. It says baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. Baptizing them represents the work that's involved in bringing someone into a saving relationship with Jesus and then teaching them to observe everything that God commanded represents the work of disciple making, helping disciples grow and live faithful lives in Jesus. The apostles were told by Jesus to be disciples who would teach other people to make disciples, who would teach other people to make disciples, who would teach other people to make disciples. Do you see where he's going with this? That it didn't just start with these 12 guys and end with them. It was that they would be disciples who would make disciples, and that was the admission, uh, the mission of Jesus in their lives. From one generation to the next until Jesus comes back. That's what the church, Big C Church, is supposed to be doing, making disciples who are making disciples. The command of discipleship is not just for preachers. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for gifted evangelists. It's for everyone who's a disciple of Jesus. Now, certainly we all have different gifts, and some of us may be engaged in and involved differently in different ways, depending on what your personality is, depending on the gift sets that you have. But all of us who belong to Jesus are expected to be engaged in carrying out that commission, making disciples who make disciples. And so it's important that we understand what our mission is and we focus on it. 
Because there's a lot of really good things that we can be involved in, but we cannot substitute those things for the main mission of the church. <clears throat> Consider some of these things um, that, that we actually haven't been commanded to do. This will make sense in just a second, but here are some things that we actually were not commanded to do. We were, we were never commanded uh, to alleviate hunger and poverty or to recreate recreational programs. We were not commanded to take on the movie industry, to take on the TV industry, or to tackle illiteracy. We were not commanded to build low-income housing. We weren't commanded to promote political campaigns. We weren't commanded to create hospitals, provide psychological counseling. We weren't commanded to provide disaster relief or to alleviate drug and alcohol abuse. We weren't commanded to provide daycare centers or Christian schools. None of these things are bad, right? None of these things are bad. These are all things that we should be involved in. All of these things are good, worthy efforts, and many disciples need to be engaged in these kinds of ministries, but they should never replace the mission of Jesus. Can I get an amen? They should never replace it, and Satan would want nothing more than for the church to abandon the mission and to take up these missions. Nothing would make Satan happier than for us to stop telling people about Jesus and feed everyone. But we can't abandon the mission. And if no one else in the world embraces salvation and discipleship, which is the mission of the church, it'll never be accomplished. There are many groups and organizations that will take on these needs that we've listed, many churches and individuals that will be involved, but we have to keep our eye on our business, which is saving people from hell and making disciples. That's our mission. What ultimate good would we do, my friends, if we fed everyone in the world provided gyms for everybody, medical care for everyone, literacy for everyone who couldn't read if we have not brought salvation to lost people. What good have we done? Jesus for sure ministered physically to people. Read the Bible, he did. He helped physical needs in people's lives, but it was always done in order to minister to the most important need, which was their spiritual journey. And disciples of Jesus have to keep first things first, making disciples who make disciples. And so how can we fulfill the command of discipleship? Two things. If you're a note taker, one, we have to be active in reaching lost people. We have to be active in reaching lost people. Number two, we have to be active in helping Christians to mature and equipping those who are already following Jesus. Let's focus on those two things and the rest of the time that we have together. Number one, reach the lost. If you're taking notes, if you want to know what are we supposed to do as a result of the word that we heard today, reach lost people. Reach lost people. I like the way it said found people. People who have been found by Jesus, who have found Jesus, will go out and find people. We don't fish for fish. We fish for people because God died for people. And as disciples, we know that we must be engaged in seeking and saving the lost, but how many of us are actually doing that? When was the last time that you built a relationship with someone who didn't know God? When was the last time you walked someone into the steps of what it takes and what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus? If your answer is it's been a really long time, or if your answer is I've actually never helped someone find Jesus then it might be helpful to ask yourself why that's the case. 
There's a few reasons. There's a lot of them. But maybe one of the things that holds you back from reaching the lost is fear. Maybe it's fear of rejection, fear of a friendship that you think you might lose, or a job, fear of being considered a religious nut, fear of handling a tough question that you may not know the answer to, fear of a failure. Maybe you tried once and you failed and you fear that you're going to repeat that again. All of these fears can be addressed with the help of God. Another thing that sometimes gets in the way is our apathy. Listen, our apathy. We actually don't care or think that people are lost, and we get so busy and distracted. It's not that we don't care necessarily. There's just other things that are more important. I'm preaching to myself here. But for other people, maybe it's you just don't believe that people are lost. You just don't believe it. It's been reported 50% of evangelical Christians don't believe that Satan and hell are real. Um, 40% say that good people go to heaven. Many people say it doesn't believe what you believe as long as you believe something. That is bogus, my friends. That's the prevailing truth in our culture. The prevailing attitude is that the Bible, the Koran, the Book of Mormon, they're all just different expressions of the same truth that will get people into heaven, but the Bible tells us something different. John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Who can come to him? Everyone. But who comes to him a different way? No one. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. Acts 4.12, salvation is found, Paul says, in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. And so with God's help, we can overcome our fear and our apathy, and we can become single-minded and missional and convicted that lost people are really lost and that Jesus is the only one who saves. One of the best ways to work through this is prayer. So I want to give us a few things that we can pray about as we ask God to help us with the Great Commission. Write these down. Pray for lost people by name. Mention them by name. God, listen, God answers our prayers. Like, I have to remind myself sometimes that it really works. God hears the prayers of his people. He cares what's on our mind. And so we can begin to pray for the salvation of lost people. And you're you're saying, well, how do I know if they're lost? If they don't know Jesus, they're lost. So everyone you know that doesn't know Jesus is lost. Write their names down and pray. On every boat, they have a triage list. It's a list. If the boat goes down, who are we saving first? These are the people that they're going to go in and get no matter what happens. They've got to get them. There's value. Listen, our triage list is everyone that is lost. And when the world is burning down and things are crashing all around us, we're going to go back into the fire because those people need saved. And so we mentioned lost people by name. God answers prayer and the Spirit works. We pray that their lives, that the words that we use would transform people to Jesus. I want to go through some passages, Matthew 5, 13, and 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the word tells us we're the salt of the earth. And if we're not salty, then how can we be made salty again? We're not good for anything. Um, I preached a sermon one time called Be Salty, and then somebody bought me a t-shirt. I should have wore it that said I'm salty, right? But it's awesome. It's true. If we're not salty, if we're not seasoned with grace and truth and love, how can we expect anyone else to have it? And so God helps us 
to remain the light of the world, a city on a hill that we don't hide. We can pray for opportunities to share your faith. Pray today. Ask God, God, give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Give me an opportunity. Colossians 4, it reminds us in uh, verses 2 through 4, devote yourselves to prayer. But then he says this, be watchful and thankful. So pray about an opportunity and then watch for it. Be thankful and pray that God would open doors for our message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He says, pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. And then we need to pray for more workers. We're praying for the lost. We're praying for opportunities. And we need to pray for more workers. Matthew 9, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's just not a lot of workers. Right? And there's all kinds of jokes. Right? Like, we'll just... Just raise the minimum wage, right? Just raise the stakes, and they'll go out and they'll find the people. But the Bible tells us that there's a harvest that's plentiful. There's a lost world that's ripe, that's fruit hanging low from the tree, that if we would just by God's power through the gifts of his spirit go out and tell the world about Jesus, there are people that would turn their lives over to him. Ask the Lord of the harvest, he says, therefore to send out workers. And listen, he might be asking you, so don't just pray that God would send someone else, but he might actually use that prayer and tell you to go out and do some work for his glory. But prayer is the best way for us to start fulfilling the mission and reaching the lost. Andrew Murray said this. I like this a lot. The man who mobilizes the church to pray will make the greatest contribution to the world in evangelical history. Churches that are mobilized to pray will have the greatest impact. But I'm going to just be real with you. If we had a prayer meeting tomorrow night, we'd have six people here. We had a national day of prayer in the city of Wabash with 130 people. It was awesome. God moved. And I know some of you are working. Some of you would have been there, could have been there, couldn't have been there. This isn't to shame you or make you feel bad. But in a county with 30,000 people, 130 of God's people showed up to pray. We will not reach the world for Jesus. The greatest impact that we can have is by praying and showing up. And the churches that pray the most will see the greatest revival. And so we have to be engaged in the command to try to bring others to Jesus. But the second part is sometimes where we don't get to. We get people to make decisions, but then we don't do this, which is we grow and multiply. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Listen, this... Churches are getting smaller everywhere because we're not making disciples. And we can blame it on whatever we want. We can find a thousand reasons. We can start from the top and say, the preacher's soft, whatever. We can make up a thousand reasons. The reason that churches aren't growing is because disciples are not making disciples who are not making disciples. Every single one of us is to be faithfully living our life for Jesus, leading other people to Jesus, mentoring other people so that they can be faithful, so that they can be productive. But unfortunately, many of us think that our goal is to bring somebody to the preacher who can get them saved, and then their responsibility is done. We put a great effort into getting people to repent, to believe, to get, confess their sins, to get baptized into water, but then we don't do anything with them after that. And so we have all these new believers who are trying to find their way as infants and babies. Can you see how this is impossible for the commission to continue when we don't lead other people to multiply and grow? It would be like saying, I want to have a kid, and we have a kid, we decide we don't like parenting. 
And we, so we, we leave this baby to raise itself, and we do that spiritually. We raise and we have baby Christians, but we don't grow them and train them and raise them up in the Lord. And just like we would be ridiculous to have a child and leave them off to raise themselves, it's ridiculous that we get someone wet or we lead them to the cross and then we leave them there to figure it out. And so we need to help bring spiritual people into existence and then provide for them to be led and discipled along the way. Paul was a great example of this. At one point in Paul's journeys, he took Timothy with him and he trained him in ministry. And then uh, when Timothy was ready, Paul then sent Timothy out to minister on his own. And in Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 2, listen to what he says. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also then be qualified to teach others. In other words, what Paul is saying is, what I taught you, teach it to other people so that they can teach it to other people. Billy Graham said this in a quote one time, one of the first verses of scripture that Dawson Trotman, who was a founder of Navigators and a friend of his, he said one of the first verses of scripture that he encouraged me to memorize was that. The verse that says, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust it to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach other people. He said, this is like a mathematical formula for spreading the gospel and enlarging the church of Jesus. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy then shared what he knew with faithful men. These faithful men would then teach other people also, and the process goes on and on and on. And if every believer followed this pattern, the church would reach the entire world in one generation. Simple math. That if that process went on and on today, in one generation, we could reach the world for Jesus. He says, mass crusades, which I believe in, and he definitely committed his life to, he says, we will never finish the Great Commission, but one-to-one discipleship will. Dr. Herschel Hobbes wrote, the work of evangelism is never complete until one who is evangelized becomes an evangelizer. Until the one who gets saved goes and reaches other people, the work isn't complete. And so the command of discipleship carries out teaching them to obey. We read that, go into all the world, teaching and baptizing. But listen, the, the, the thing at the end, making disciples and baptizing, we're really, really good at, and it's really, really important to us. But then he says, teach them to obey everything that I've told you. The goal isn't converts. The goal is disciples who will then make more disciples, who will then make more disciples. And that commission goes on and on from one spiritual generation till the next one, until Jesus comes back. Dwight Moody said, it's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people. But it's a lot harder. It would be better for us to disciple 10 people than to just do the work of those same 10 people. But training and discipling is harder. We might be able to do the work of 10 people, but then what happens when we die? The work dies with us. But if we train and disciple 10 people, and they train and disciple 10 people, then multiplication results and more people find life in Christ. So how can we be engaged in this process? I want to challenge us by saying this, that no one is too young or too old to be mentored. 
No one is too young or too old to be mentored by someone. Howard Hendricks wrote this, and this is a really great philosophy. He says this, every single disciple, everyone who follows Jesus needs three relationships in their life. Write this down or pretend like it. Make it look like it. I want you all writing this down. Like, just fake it. Just go like this. But I'm serious, and God's really serious about this. We all need three relationships. We need a Paul. This is the person who mentors and challenges us. We need Pauls in our life. Who is your Paul? Answer that question today. Talk to your family. Who is mentoring you in the faith? Like, I, well, I don't know. It, maybe it's not a physical person. Maybe it's an, a, a speaker, a pastor. I don't know. But somebody needs uh, to be mentoring you. A Paul mentoring Timothy. Who is Paul? The other relationship that you need is a Barnabas. This is the person who comes alongside of you and encourages you. You guys might be at a similar area of your faith, but you spur each other on in love. Who is Barnabas? Who are you calling? Who's encouraging you? Who's spurring you on saying, don't give up. I know it's hard. Let's go get coffee. Who's Barnabas? Who's the Paul that's mentoring you? Who's the Barnabas that's encouraging you? And then who is your Timothy? Who is the person that you are pouring your life into? And maybe in this season, it's your kids. But you've got a couple Timothys. But every single one of us needs someone that's like Paul mentoring us, someone who's like Barnabas encouraging us, and somebody that's Timothy that we are bringing along with us. And I just don't want to hear like, I've only been a Christian for two years. There's somebody who's been a Christian for two days. Or there's someone who hasn't been a Christian at all, and you can mentor them. And so my prayer for us is really practical today is that we all would take this assignment seriously, that we would begin to pray about and ask God who it is that's mentoring us, who it is that's encouraging us, and who it is that's going to be our Timothy that we can challenge and bring up in the faith. Pray together. Hold each other accountable. Grow in your obedience to the Lord. There's a ton of resources, and if you don't know where to start, that's not a good excuse. Our staff, our leaders, our elders, we will help you. We have resources we can give you, resources we can point you to that will help you to pray, that will help you to read the word, that will help you come up with questions to challenge each other with. But we have to prepare ourselves and engage in the mission of Jesus, the mission of making disciples who make disciples. And we all need to repent of our fear, of our apathy, of anything that's holding us back. We need to repent of that and get engaged starting today in this mission of Jesus to go and make disciples. The power to do this, the power and the ability to carry this out doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And so we pray along the way and we ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. But we are mentored and we are encouraged, and we encourage, and then we disciple other people. That's the command. And along the way, we help kids read. We build recreation centers. We help stop hunger. All great things. But let us never lose sight of the mission to be disciples who love the Lord with their heart, mind, soul, and strength that will lead others to become disciples, that they can be disciples, and lead others to be disciples, making disciples, making disciples until Jesus comes again, amen?
Well, let's pray and then let's go out from here today and do something about it. And if we don't have a mentor, let's find one. If we don't have an encourager, let's find one. And if you don't have someone to pour into, there's a lot of people I know that would love to have someone invest in them and we'll help you get connected. Let's pray that we would be disciples who make disciples by Jesus' power.